one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Hey listeners, it's Mishi. This week, we released our 50th wartime diary. Next week is Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut. And as a way of marking this milestone, and these dates, Yochai Meital and I will have a series of onstage conversations in New York and Cleveland. We'll discuss the process of creating wartime diaries, talk about some of the challenges we've encountered, the dilemmas we've had, the insights we've gained, So if you want to hear what covering the evolving story of this war has been like for us, we'd love to see you at one of our events. All the details are on our site, israelstory.org. And meanwhile, wishing us all calm and peaceful days ahead. I go out on the porch on Friday nights and I scream the bracha to him with my hands up in the air. And, you know, and then I come in and we have this big, horrible picture that somebody gave us of him with his name spelled wrong. And it's behind our front door. And I kiss his head and I smell his hair on the picture because I know what that smell is of his hair. You know, and I just wait and crave for that time when I can smell his hair. You know, it's they just brought his bag back on Friday. They found his bag seven weeks later uh, that he had taken to the music festival. And when I unpacked it yesterday and I was taking out, now normally we're always like, Hirsch, you need to shower, my God, what is that smell? And I was taking out his clothes and I was finding the armpits and inhaling it like you know like it was like the most wonderful thing i could ever smell you know but john i I, this morning i went for the first time it's day 51 i went to the above ground bomb shelter where hirsch came under attack lost his arm and was then taken captive and 
as I was there, I was thinking, it's so close. It's like a couple of kilometers from here, a mile and a half. Let's just go right now. Like my friend has a four by four. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. We thought better of that. But it's absolutely crossed my mind. I mean, he is so close. Hey, listeners, it's Mishi. So as you know, during these incredibly difficult days, we're trying to bring you voices we're hearing among and around us. These aren't stories, they're just quick conversations, or postcards really, that try to capture slivers of life right now. Many of you have probably heard or read about Rachel Goldberg and John Polin, the parents of 23-year-old Hirsch Goldberg Polin, who was kidnapped from the Nova Party. In many ways, they've emerged as the face of the hostage families. They've met with Biden and the Pope. They were on the cover of Time magazine. Rachel has spoken at the UN and at the March for Israel rally in Washington, D.C. And in all those places, as well as in countless other interviews, speeches, and meetings, they've told the heartbreaking tale of the two text messages Hirsch sent on the morning of October 7th. One saying, I love you, and the other, I'm sorry. He wrote those messages from within a shelter, where he was hiding with 28 other partygoers. 18 of them were killed, and Hirsch, whose left arm was blown off, was badly wounded. Shortly thereafter, Hirsch and three others from the shelter were loaded onto Hamas pickup trucks and taken into Gaza. It has now been 55 days. Earlier this week, Adina Karpuch and I sat in Hirsch's room and talked to his parents. I'm Rachel. I'm Hirsch Goldberg, Poland's mom. I'm John. I'm Hirsch's dad and Rachel's husband. I'm, and I'm John's wife. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> and how would you have introduced yourselves on October 6th? I would have said I'm Rachel. Uh, yeah, I guess I would have said I'm John. I'm proud to be father of Hirsch, Libby, and Orly, and Rachel's husband, life partner, but I never used it as part of my identity or never introduced myself with that identity, but I do find it more relevant, more uh, present now than before. What have you discovered about each other during this uh, this time? I really have discovered, even on the first night, we went into our room crying, saying, we think he's dead. I remember saying, like, it's going to be horrible for a long time, and then we're going to be okay. One day we're going to be okay again. We're not going to, it's not going to be the rest of our lives. And we were crying and we were holding each other saying, it's going to, one day we'll be okay again. And that's like, this is the moment. Like, I cannot imagine there is not one other person on the planet who I could go through this with, not one. And you have to be made of steel, a couple made of steel to get through it. And I'm very thankful. I dive in every morning. I pray every morning. The first thing that I thank God for is for John. And there's no way on earth, no way on earth that 
I could do this without exactly him. Not a strong partner, great partner. Him. Him partner. And I'm not even sure that I learned anything new about Rachel. I do feel like I've shared her with the world. I walk down the street now and people stop me. And sometimes they say, you're Hirsch's dad, which is great. I'll take that. And sometimes they say, you're Rachel's husband, which is also great. And I'll take that. But the number of people who come up to me now and say, your wife is amazing. And I just find myself saying, I know, I know. I've known that for a long time. But now she's very public. And uh, a lot of other people also know that. Look, I think to be known for something horrible is horrible. So that makes me sad because either I'd like to be anonymous or it would be nice to be known for something wonderful, not something that's everybody's worst nightmare. You're now living a reality that you never imagined and never wanted to live. And you've been thrust into this role that I don't think ever in a million years would have been one that you thought would have been part of your life. And what's it feel like to be in that role? The role of being the family of a hostage. Um, that's like an indescribable uh, place to be. We keep trying to describe it in different ways of, you know, sometimes I'll say it's like trying to talk to someone who was born blind and has never had vision and trying to explain to them what purple is, you know. But even that, it's not pain. It's something else. It is pain. But, I mean, pain is the pshat. Pain is the, you know, surface. There's such a deep existential existence. That's mostly what's challenging, is that it's an existence. It's not, um, it was explained to us that trauma is something that comes out of nowhere, and it's a shock, and it's earth-shattering, and then you have to figure out, like, how do I stand up? And like, how do I take my first step forward? This is very different than that because it hasn't hit us and moved on. We, it is a slow motion, stretched out, agonizing, continual way of being. What do your days look like now? Filled with action. And we made the decision by Saturday afternoon, October 7th, that we weren't going to wait around for the Israeli government or the U.S. government or anybody else to take action on our behalf. We said, we're taking matters into our own hands. We set up a situation room, and sometimes there are four people here. Sometimes there are 14 people here. It depends on the day and the time of day. But we are constantly in action mode, whether it be reaching out to U.S. officials, reaching out to Israeli officials, finding foreign government officials that may be relevant players here, connecting with other hostage families to compare parts of the, the journey. We basically have said we need to tell the story, keep it front and center for the world, and we need to do everything we can to reach out to every influential person that we can that might ultimately be the person who could lead to the release of Hirsch. He's going to hate it. All of his friends always say he is going to hate <laughs> that he's everywhere, that you guys are everywhere, that 
you know, that you've described him on all of these, uh, you know, in all these articles and all these newscasts and all these things. He, we, we joke about it all the time. We say, like, first of all, God willing, I would love to deal with him hating it. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he should come home healthy, soon, alive. One arm down, we'll deal with that. Trauma, we'll deal with it. But honestly, my normal way of being, when people say there's fight, flight, or freeze, I'm a freezer, usually. But I've never been in this situation before, and this is just primal. What we've been doing, it's not me. This is so not me to go and not be scared. Look, I'll speak in public. It's not that. I'm not shy. But I do get nervous. I've taught for years, and we joke about it because I'll be going to teach, you know, a group of 16-year-olds. Like, they're not exactly like an intimidating bunch. And I'll be nervous and shaking before, and it's a whole big thing. That's gone. I don't care who I talk to now. Like, the scariest thing on planet Earth has happened. So I don't care getting up in front of 300,000 people in D.C. My voice didn't shake. I don't care. I don't care getting up in front of the U.N., up in front of the Pope. I don't care. And I've never been that type of person. In fact, we used to joke because the Polans... They can't ever sit still. They always have to be doing something. You go on a vacation. There's no, like, hanging out by the pool with the Poland family. You know, the Polans are doers. They're like, what are we doing next? Ba-ba, ba-boom. I am not like that. I am not wired like that. My family is not like that. And I would even say, I feel like people who do that are running from something. It's like they don't want a moment of silence because they don't want to do introspection or they don't want to, like sort of contemplate their lives so they want to always be moving then they never have to think and now i really appreciate that way of being we have to be doing something to help save hirsch's life and hopefully the other hostages and it also makes it so there isn't time for that introspection which at this moment would be soul shattering it would be unbearable and excruciating i actually only feel comfortable physically when i don't feel comfortable like, I don't want to feel good because I know he doesn't feel good. So the second or third week, someone said, like, I'm having someone come. They're going to give you a massage. It will just be 20 minutes. You can, like, have your clothes on. You can just do whatever. It was so, it was excruciating for me. I can't do that now. I cannot do that now. I can't even taste good food now. Like, I eat food in order to have eaten. But when I feel hungry, that's the only time I feel okay. Because I feel, I don't know if it's guilty. I don't know what it is. It does not feel appropriate to feel okay right now. It does not feel right. And so when I'm uncomfortable, when I'm going to sleep and my stomach's growling, I feel good. We don't exercise. We don't take any time of our own. We just don't. I keep saying next week, next week, next week. And now we're seven plus weeks in and it hasn't happened. Maybe next week. Have any specific memories of Hirsch or stories about him been in your mind a lot during this time? I mean, when I think about stories about Hirsch, the stories that I think about and the traits that I think about him 
are seen through the lens of how is that trait helping him navigate. So for example, when Hirsch was 12, he came to us and said, I have something really important to discuss with you guys. So we were like, okay, let's sit and have a conversation. And he says to us, I know I'm young and you think that I'm not ready, but I'm really ready to move out and get my own apartment. <laughs> and we, we, we stopped ourselves from laughing because we had to take it seriously. And we explained to him that he actually probably wasn't ready, but he's had this independence from the time he was literally like two years old. And I keep saying that sense of, of strength and independence and independent thinking is a really strong attribute for what he's going through right now. He's going to figure out a way to kind of keep pushing through this. I also am thinking that kind of thing. But when you ask the question of, you know, you've had this whole, you have this whole life of stories that you can be thinking of and drawing on, that I don't allow myself to go to. Never. Because I think that it would break me. And I don't go there. To memories, to, to stories? Nope. Nope. I found um, one piece of paper that I made for him. He's obsessed, or you, as a child, he was obsessed with geography. And he would say to me, like, make me a test, make me a quiz, make me whatever. And I found one of those quizzes, and it's on my nightstand. And that's the only thing that I've allowed myself to, like, cheat and, and go there because the really yummy luxury of opening, you know, like a photo album or thinking about, because I have journals that I kept when the kids were little and reading, you know, vignettes, I think that it would break me right now. So I don't, I don't do that. So to be constantly busy and constantly running, constantly, it's actually better. The only thing that's sad is that when we do finally get into bed at night and take our pills that our doctor has given us to like knock us out because otherwise we couldn't sleep, we always say to each other, well, I guess we failed because he's not home, they're not home. So like we worked our asses off and you fall into bed exhausted and you know that you failed. It's the ultimate myth of Sisyphus. We wake up every morning and we're like, okay, we're back to square one. Like it doesn't matter what we did for 51 days, we failed, because here we are. When you close your eyes and imagine Hirsch just right now, what, what do you feel and what do you see? I try a little bit not to think about it. And sometimes I, I want to think like, oh, he's in a tunnel playing soccer with some of the little kids. You know, and it's a shame that he used to love to be the goalie. Now he has one arm, like maybe it's harder. Um, you know, like when I'm in a good place like that, I want to picture that. And I don't want to picture any of the bad that could possibly be happening because it's not helpful for me. It doesn't help me do anything but suffer more. So I, I, I try not to really picture it. And I try to, you know, just hope and pray that he's with other people, other hostages, or other nice Gazan people. Because I really feel that there are good Gazan civilians who are also going through absolute hell right now. And I am also convinced that there are many who know Hirsch or have seen Hirsch or know where he is. And I understand why they can't say anything 
I often, when I was young, would say to myself, what would I have done in World War II? Would I have hid Anne Frank? And, you know, I want to believe that, yeah, I would have, I would have been. And the truth is, I probably would have been too scared. So I don't blame the people who are too scared who are there, but I'm hoping that they're being kind to him. Whoever he's with somehow is being kind to him. Um, Do you ever have the fantasy of just like getting into the car and since it's not that far away, just going to to Gaza or or going to pick up Hirsch? Yes, I have that fantasy all the time. We actually have talked about doing that. Totally. And we were going to go to the border and we were going to be like, we are here, bring him out. Or, and, and like threatening, right? Oh. Like, because I'm sure Hamas would take that. Like, I, I was going to say, like, I have had a great life. We're going to trade now, okay? He's coming out. I'm going in. Enough, right? Like, as if they'd be like, oh, okay, somebody bring out Hirsch, you know? But <laughs> <laughs> when we were going to the UN, I was very apprehensive because I didn't want to leave because I thought at least I know that I'm like an hour and a half from him now, probably less. Um, and I was really panicked to leave here and to be so far away from him. Well, when we when we travel now, we fly El Al, and on a flight just now, we got on. We talked to the captain, and we said, if they announce that they're bringing out Hirsch and the other hostages while we're in the middle of the flight, and he didn't even let us finish the sentence. He said, we're going to turn the plane around and go back home. And we were like, oh, thank God, you know. Hirsch is my first child, so he is the person who changed my being in the world. I was a person, and he made me mother. So the girls, I'm also their mother, but I was mother before they showed up. He changed who I am in the universe, and he's not here. So we're talking um, here in Hirsch's room on what will be the third day in which hostages are being released, thankfully. What's going through your mind as you're seeing this? Well, we're thrilled. It's such a feeling of relief and happiness. And we just pray that somehow, you know, the, the stamina keeps going and the thread keeps holding and that Hirsch's turn will come really soon. We've spent 51 days grasping anywhere for hope. So this is a great first step. In a world where you're looking for hope anywhere, seeing a dozen or more people released day after day is really, really encouraging. Well, Rachel, John, thank you so much. And of course, we're with you in every way, in every prayer uh, for Hirsch's return and everyone's return and for quiet days to resume for all of us who live amen. here. Amen, amen. amen. Thank, yeah. you. Thank you. Shalom. 
Small details are big surfaces. 
Tight corners or odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured, or tall? Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.